You're listening to the My SBA Loan Pro Podcast, hosted by Ryan Smith, principal broker and founder of Think SBA, a one-of-a-kind loan brokerage serving small business owners and entrepreneurs in their quest to purchase real estate, acquire a business or franchise, or obtain working capital. In each episode, Ryan reveals valuable insights and best practices regarding the SBA loan program and application process. Let's get started. Let's get into this right now. Um, the first thing that I want to point out is as a searcher, so this is directed, just so you guys know, this is directed towards searchers who are acquiring a business, first-time searchers, second, third-time uh, experience pros will all benefit from this. So as a searcher, what you must understand is that you and the seller are the gladiators in the arena. Uh, everyone else is just the supporting cast. You're the ones who are going to get bloody if things go bad. So remember that this transaction is all about you. There will be a supporting cast uh, and those individuals will act as either a coach, consultant. They'll be possibly just spectators. And as you continue to work through this, it's very important that you don't let any of the supporting cast try to become the main focus. And they may. So that might be the listing broker. That might be the attorney. I've experienced all of this. But you and the seller are the gladiators. You're the ones in the arena who are the ones who would get bloody if things go bad. So always remember that. Now, if you work with me, Ryan Smith, my SBA pro, uh, you always understand that. And I always make sure that that's top of mind. We're going to talk today about five bullet points. Number one, sell the seller. Number two, legal team, landlord financing. And then finally, one that's not really discussed often is the business transfer. And the reason why the business transfer is so important is because that's where the rubber meets the road. And I'm going to share not only some best practices, but also a story of one of my clients who acquired a landscaping business here in Southern California. The first thing then, let's get right into it, is when working with a listing broker and a seller, you have to align your pitch with the seller's goals and objectives for selling their business. Now, let's talk about what some of those goals and objectives might be. Number one, the obvious one is money. Maybe that's all they want. Maybe they're just looking to exit the business, get the most money for the business that they built. Many of them that I work with want a legacy. They want their baby, right? The the business that they built, they are typically founders. They built this business. This business put food on the table, a roof over their head, provided for their family, uh, gave them a status and a standing inside of their community, and they want that legacy to continue. And so they choose the buyer based on wanting this legacy to continue. The next one is employee retention. Uh, a lot of sellers will have relationships with their employees, and it's important to them that anybody who takes over the business also takes over their employees and treats them the same way that they would have treated their employees. So just in review really quickly, when you're aligning your pitch, know what's most important to the seller. Is it money? Is it their legacy? Uh, or is it employee retention? Another thing to understand is that the seller is not on your side. The listing broker is not on your side. And I say this knowing that most listing brokers, they want a dual agency. What does that mean? 
It means that they represent the buyer and they represent you. I'm sorry, they represent the seller and they represent you, the buyer. And so they're going to earn the whole commission on the transaction, which is what they want. And above that, the listing brokers, they represent you as the buyer, will also try to direct the financing. And what I'm going to say to that is don't let them direct the financing. You don't want them allow, uh, you don't want them directing the financing. And why is that? Because most listing brokers don't know anything about the financing. Now, I'm not going to say all listing brokers, that would be a blanket statement, never use the word all. But I will say that most of the ones I've worked with do not know SBA 7A financing. Now, they might know some keywords, some buzzwords. They might know basic structure, but they don't know all of the ins and outs. They don't know all of the nooks and crannies. They don't know where the trap doors are. And at the very best, they're going to send you to a lender that they think, right, because they want to close the transaction, will be able to get you to the finish line, but without consideration for interest rate, structure, terms, etc. So you do not want the listing broker to be the one directing the financing. And uh, the reason why they want to direct the financing, again, uh, not only to close the loan, but they want to get paid by the lender. The lender typically pays a minimum of 1% commission as a referral fee or finder fee to anybody who refers them a transaction. And if that listing broker refers the transaction, even though they're not going to do anything in the transaction, remember, they're not going to engage or interface with the lender, they will still get paid that 1% fee. Another thing I want to talk about as it relates to the seller and the transaction is if you're a searcher, you're a buyer, you're engaged in this transaction, these negotiations, I've seen this over and over again. I just want to encourage you, do not get emotionally involved. Be ready to walk away from the table. Be ready to push away from the table. I've seen several buyers who do get emotionally involved. They make this business their golden calf. They idolize this business. And when push comes to shove, it's not really a good deal for them. But because they're so emotionally involved, they're not willing to walk away from the table, push away from the table and say, hey, this isn't for me. And what ends up happening? The listing broker gets that. He knows that. She knows that. The seller knows that. And then the next thing you know, all of the terms are starting to favor the seller instead of the buyer. So I just want to encourage you, do not be emotionally involved in this transaction. Separate your emotions from objectivity, from what you know about the business, from what this business will do for you and your family. And what you can do for the business. But if it ends up being a bad deal for you, you got to be ready. You have to be ready and willing to walk away. Now, we've heard a lot about quality of earnings reports. These are very, very important because, again, you cannot take what the seller is presenting you or the listing broker is presenting you at face value. Unfortunately, you just can't do that. I have closed successfully millions and millions of dollars in business acquisition loans. And I can tell you that every single set of profit and loss statements and tax returns are different. People are hiding expenses, revenue in different places. They give them different chart of account labels. So it is very important that a quality of earnings report is ordered and completed so that you have a high level of certainty 
that what is being presented from a financial picture is definitely accurate. Now, for those smaller loans, let's say maybe sub-million and a half, sub-million, quality of earnings reports can be quite expensive. And if this isn't in your budget, you can complete what I call a, a poor person's quality of earnings report and or quality of earnings reported. And what is that? Well, that's where you want to get statements. So get their credit card, like their, for instance, their point of sale, get those statements. Uh, for instance, I was looking to acquire a business myself and uh, everything that they took in was from their POS using Square. So I asked them for their Square statements for the last three years and they sent me the monthly statements for the last three years and the annual statement. Also, check deposits if they do receive payment via check. Check those check deposits, canceled checks, credit card statements, anything that they're saying is a legitimate ad back. The business I was looking to buy, the individual actually built his Airbnb business on the back of his everyday business. And so he was funneling expenses starting up this Airbnb business, essentially building property out, building homes, et cetera, um, on the back of his uh, everyday business. And he wanted me to just take that at face value. And I said, hey, you know what? This is what I'm going to ask of you. I need to see all the invoices. Well, you can guess how that ended. He just walked away. It spooked him. He had two sets of books. He had one that he showed the IRS. He had another that he kept internally. And as soon as I started asking those detailed questions, he walked away. In the end, it was for the best. I wasn't personally emotionally involved, and I'm still on the search. Now let's move on to the next one, and that will be legal team. All I'm going to say is this on this point, the wrong attorney can kill your deal. Absolutely. You must pick your legal team intelligently, thoughtfully. Do not take this lightly. Now, on the other hand, the right attorney can make your deal. The right attorney with the right temperament, with the right knowledge, who is an expert in M&A transactions, can make your life easier in the transaction. They can act as a confidant, a consigliere, uh, and then obviously they'll be the ones who are crafting your letter of interest and ultimately your purchase agreement. Let me give you an, a real life example. So. And when I was at Torrey Pines Bank here in San Diego, I was approached by a local orthodontist and he found a listing for a pathology lab in West Los Angeles. This pathology lab included three pathologists, the two founders who were not active in the business and the associate pathologist who was 100% active in the business. She performed all of the pathology the orthodontist found this and was excited to acquire the business, but he wasn't a pathologist, so he did not have experience in the business, but that was okay. The way we structured this is he was the principal buyer and the pathologist who was in the lab was a minority buyer or minority partner. She did not contribute any equity toward the acquisition whereas the orthodontist contributed 100% of the equity toward the acquisition. But keeping the associate pathologist on who was performing the day-to-day -day tasks greatly enhanced the credit. Here's what happened. The first time this orthodontist came to me, he had chosen a particular attorney. I knew this attorney, and she had, at that time, to me at least, a good reputation. Well, unfortunately, she had the wrong temperament. The reason is because the seller's attorney 
was known to be extremely combative. We knew that. I was told that. But unfortunately, the buyer also picked an attorney who was extremely combative. So how do you think that went? The deal actually fizzled really quickly because the attorneys were not able to see eye to eye. They just went at each other like two pit bulls and the deal fizzled and was over. Now, fast forward a couple of months later, the orthodontist comes back to me and he says, hey, Ryan, we're back at the negotiating table. And I said, great, doctor. Let me ask you a question. Are you still working with the same attorney? And he said, no, I'm not. I said, great. Let me recommend an attorney that I know has the right temperament to represent you in this transaction. Lo and behold, I referred him to a really good friend of mine who represented him in this acquisition. This acquisition was the perfect attorney for him. He got everything through. He never tried to dig in and make himself more important in the transaction than he was. And ultimately, we closed the transaction. Now, I do not believe that we would have closed this transaction if it weren't for the buyer hiring the right attorney. So just because you see there's an attorney on SMB Twitter, don't hire them immediately. Make sure that you assess who's on the seller side, who's the listing broker, who's the seller, who's representing the seller, and make your decision on which attorney you hire based on the seller, the listing broker, and their attorney. If you choose the wrong attorney, the loan can go south. I'm sorry, the transaction can go south really quickly and jeopardize your ability to acquire this business. Now, let's go on to the third topic, the landlord. I could say this about landlords. They never typically crush a deal or kill a deal, but they will be difficult. And they're not someone who is typically on the radar of the buyer in the beginning, but they should be. And here's why. The SBA requires most businesses, not all businesses, but most businesses who are acquiring a business to have a minimum 10-year lease. Now, that could be a five-year fixed lease with a five-year option, could be 10-year fixed. There are a whole host of options. But the gist of it is that the SBA requires a minimum of 10 years on a lease. Now, people say, well, Ryan, I'm going to assume the lease or this will be easy. Some people think it's just going to be extremely difficult, which sometimes it is. But again, I always recommend to them have an open mind and don't think that the landlord is just going to crush the deal. So make sure the landlord, if there's a landlord, if this is a, a business dependent on location and there is a landlord, make sure the landlord is top of mind. And the best thing that I recommend for a buyer who's never negotiated with a landlord is to hire a tenant representative. A tenant representative is somebody who is an expert in real estate, negotiated with landlords, and again, typically they're going to be paid by the landlord themselves. And it's important to know that, that you should have somebody on your side to negotiate for you. Now, a lot of the smaller deals where there isn't even really the opportunity to have a tenant representative because there's really not enough money in the transaction. Uh, for those people, what I do is, since I've been through a lot of these, I'm able to kind of consult with them in the background. And if I need to, 
I will contact the landlord myself, which I've done plenty of times. And again, I just want to emphasize that typically the landlords will not kill a deal, but they're almost always going to cause consternation. And what does that mean? It means this, so that uh, the SBA form that will be presented uh, is the uh, SBA uh, lien and, uh, and collateral access form. And when that form is presented, landlords typically balk at it. So this is what they do. They either just wait and don't do anything with it, or they'll review it and say they're not signing it. And it seems that, you know, it's just going to be a bad process. However, they always come around. Sometimes they'll even have their own form. So let me give you just a, a quick example. I'm working with a cafe in Los Angeles and they're expanding into uh, location and they said, hey, Ryan, you know, this is a land, national landlord. I'm not thinking they're going to sign anything. And I said, you know, if they're a national landlord, they've seen this document before. Lo and behold, he presented it to them. They said, hey, no problem. We get it. We've seen this form before. In fact, we've crafted our own form based on their the SBA form. And the SBA typically accepts it. So he just gave me the form back. We went to the lender. No big deal. So don't think that the landlord is going to crush the deal. Don't be too pessimistic. But do understand that. You're going to be in for some negotiating. You're going to be in for a fight. But at the end of the day, be patient. Landlords come around. You're going to work this out. Most landlords, I would say the overwhelming majority of landlords know that when you're working with the SBA, they're going to have to sign this form or this agreement. I do want to point you to a video at thinksba.tv where I go in depth how and when to approach a landlord. Again, that's at thinksba.tv, T-H-I-N-K-S-B-A.tv. That's my YouTube channel. Now, let's go on to bullet number four, financing. All right, so as you can imagine, that's my sweet spot. That's what I do every day, all day. We're going to sink into this a little bit. And the first thing I want to say about financing is it's extremely important that you get pre-qualified, that you have a budget with, with which you're working within to buy a business. It's just like if you were buying a home, you don't want to try to bite off more than you can chew. And working with an individual like me is important to be pre-qualified by because I'm not going to size you for one little credit box. For example, if you go directly to a lender, they're going to pre-qualify you based on their credit box alone. That's it. They're not going to pre-qualify you based on the entire market, but just their credit box. But when you come to someone like me, a loan broker, I'm going to pre-qualify you based on the entire breadth of financing that's available in the market. Now, what that does for you is it gives you a certain level of certainty to go to market Find a business, and then you can present my pre-qualification letter to a listing broker. This is, again, an important step. The second step is once you've received the pre-qualification letter from me, you have worked with now a listing broker, you're doing due diligence on a business, and you're ready to seek actual financing. What's extremely important is that when you approach lenders, you approach them in the right way and you craft your credit memo or your credit display. 
Now, let's talk about this because this is what happens. Some individuals try to do this themselves. They're smart, no doubt. They're intelligent. They do a really good job, actually. I've seen a few of them. But here's where they're lacking. They don't understand what the bank is looking for. They think they do, but they don't. And a lot of them think they do because you know they're going to go to uh, Twitter. They're going to go to YouTube. They're going to go to Google. And they're going to do a lot of research and they're going to think, okay, I'm an expert on presenting my request to a lender. That couldn't be further from the truth. And the reason I know that is because I work with these individuals and they actually present things to me, documents to me. They've been working hours and hours and hours on. And they say, here you go, Ryan, I'm ready to present this. And I say, hey, whoa, 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 we're not going to present this. And here's why. So it's important that when you approach lenders, that the loan package is presented in a way that will be easily digestible and acceptable to the lender. Even more important than that, going to the appropriate lender, the right lender for that loan. Many people come to me after going to what I call the Wall Street banks, the ones that you see on every corner. They present to that lender. That lender says no, and they're crushed. They don't think they have an option to succeed, but they're not going to be deterred 100%. So they go to Google, they find me, they call, and I say, hey, check this out. You definitely qualify. This recently happened on a franchise acquisition here in my hometown of San Diego. They went to a Wall Street lender. They were declined. They contacted me over the Thanksgiving weekend, thinking they did not have a shot. And then after one review of their financials, I said, absolutely, you do. And we closed on that loan about a month ago, and they're doing great. One thing that I want to share with you, this is interest, uh, This is very important, too is that as a borrower, disclose everything that needs to be disclosed in the past. So if there's something in your past, disclose it. If you have a DUI, disclose it. I just closed a real estate loan for someone on the other side of the country, on the East Coast. We were going through the process. I asked them if they'd ever been arrested, incarcerated, et cetera. They said no. Boom. We're on the closing checklist call, and the bank says, oh, by the way, you need to tell us about this DUI. Didn't crater the deal. We went to the finish line. But I guarantee you, if that was another lender, it would have been iffy at that point. So disclose everything that needs to be disclosed in the past. Now, now listen to this, but be strategic about what's disclosed in the future. You say, what do you mean, Ryan? Well, what are you going to do post-close? Are you going to, for example, if you have a W-2 job, are you going to quit that? Well, be, be strategic about how you present that. Do you have someone in mind to be a key employee, to be a general manager so you can maintain your W-2 employment? You have to be strategic because what you don't understand is that presenting the future information the wrong way can cause a lender to grab onto that and then they're going to determine how they proceed based on that information. So it's important to be extremely strategic about how you present forward-looking information. And again, I've been there. I've done that. I present it always the right way. Another thing I want to share with you is 
If you ever hear a broker saying, you know, hey, I, I work with 100 lenders. You know what you know about them? They don't know your deal. You don't need 100 lenders. In fact, on most loans, all you need is about three to five. And five would be a lot. Most loans, you just need around three. And uh, the way that we do that is we present, I do the way I do it is I present the credit display or the credit memo to these lenders and we create competition and then we're able to obtain the best loan terms. And here's the way I choose to do that by being open and honest with my lenders. A lot of loan brokers, and I get, this is from lenders, by the way, this isn't me, although I was a lender and I worked with brokers too. Um, but usually the, the garden variety broker will say, hey, here's a, a, you know, a package with just a few documents. It's a great loan, trust me. And I've got 50 lenders who have this interest rate and are willing to do this structure. And they're just lying through their teeth. They don't know what they're doing. And they're lying to the lender. And let me tell you, the best lenders don't have time for that. They'll just literally kick those people out of their pipeline. They won't even listen to them when they present deals. The way I do it, very simple. I present the deal. I present all of the deal, meaning the strengths, the weaknesses. In fact, I will highlight the weaknesses in my credit display. And then the lender and I will discuss, okay, how do we overcome or mitigate that weakness. And if there's not a way to mitigate that weakness, well, guess what? We don't mitigate that weakness. And then I move on to another lender. But just know if you're working with a broker and they say, hey, you know, I work with 100 lenders, we're going to blast this out. That just means that they don't know your loan or who the right lender is to work with. I'm going to send it to three to five lenders. We're going to create competition. We're going to be open, transparent, and we're going to obtain the lowest interest rate and best terms for which you qualify. It's important, and when again, when you work with me, this is default, but if you're going out on your own, it's so important that you know your lender. Thank you for listening to you know how many SBA loans loan they book podcast. on an annual basis. Sure you know their ability to share, execute. So many people that I know go directly to lenders and they don't know SBA the trap doors. They don't know how many SBA loans this particular lender books on an annual basis. They don't know what their ability to execute is. And guess what? That gets them in trouble. Again, I was referred a couple of weeks ago to two individuals here in my hometown of San Diego. Um, they're buying and starting a franchise. They own the land. They're going to be building ground up. As I'm working with them, I'm asking them all of these questions about the time horizons. They didn't know the answers. And I said, well, wait a minute. You have 12 business days until your financing contingencies up. You don't have a commitment letter. You don't have an appraisal ordered. Uh, you don't have an appraisal ordered on your primary residences, investment properties. How do you think all this is going to come together before your financing contingencies up? Well, the short uh, answer is they didn't. And I was able to pivot them literally within one business day to one of the top SBA 7A lenders. And we just put their minds at ease. We're going to save them literally hundreds of thousands of dollars by performing to their financing contingency so that they can continue and close on time and build out their project. If my referral source, who's a former friend of mine who uh, works for Bank of America uh, private client group, if he wouldn't have referred his neighbor to me, that's who this individual was, a neighbor. If he wouldn't have referred his neighbor to me, his neighbor would be seeing his loan blow up in his face. I mean, this would have been a really bad situation. They've already spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on pre-development costs, and we're going to come in 
and save the day and help them out. I also want to say to you that whenever you're working with a lender, you should have 99.99% certainty of close from the very beginning. If you don't have that, you're on the long road to nowhere. We've all heard those horror stories where people have worked with a lender for, you know, I've seen it most recently up to a year, literally up to a year. And they had no idea what was going on. And then guess what happened? After that year, they literally got turned down. We can't get there. And you say, Ryan, how can it take a year to determine whether or not a lender wants to do a loan or not? And I'll just be honest with you. They're really good at that. They're really good at just dragging it out, putting it on the shelf, and then finally coming to the conclusion, hey, we're just not going to get here. I know it sounds like hyperbole, but believe me, it happens all the time. And what ends up happening is that searchers end up leaving hundreds of thousands of dollars on the table because they either go directly to a lender by themselves without the knowledge of how to work with the lender, or they work with a one-size-fits-all broker, meaning all that broker's focused on is max leverage. Hey, we're going to max lever this deal. Well, guess what? You go to a max leverage lender, they're going to be prime plus 275, prime plus three, they won't budge. And when you, for example, if you size a loan, let's say two and a half, three million dollars, the difference between prime plus three and prime plus one, or like what I'm doing right now, prime plus 0.82, that's millions of dollars in interest expense over the life of the loan. No joking. So just in summary of financing, get pre-qualified, know what you're doing when you're approaching a lender. And if you don't, admit you don't, work with a broker. You just need a few really good lenders who will compete for the loan. And then it's important to know who the lender is. I know who the top 500 lenders are. I shared this with the individual that I mentioned to you in that use case where his lender hadn't even ordered the appraisals, et cetera. I said, do you know how many loans this lender has closed in the last three years? I said, I knocked them out of the park. Literally, as an individual here in San Diego, I crushed them in the number of loans that they've originated and closed in the last three years. And it showed they just were not a good lender to work with. So finally, uh, you should have 99.99% certainty of close when you begin. And do not apologize to anyone for wanting the lowest interest rate and best terms for which you qualify. Do not apologize. You deserve it. That's what I do. Final bullet point, the business transfer. Now, what I want to say about this is be ready for anything. Do not accept that the seller, that the listing broker have been telling you the truth. You don't know how the seller has been messaging inside of the business to their employees. Let me give you a really scary but real example. I worked recently with an individual who was a Columbia undergraduate, London School of Business, postgraduate. He was in private equity. He was a founder. And he decided to get out of that business and to get into 
the SMB business. He bought a, this was a few years ago, he bought a landscaping business in Southern California. And then he came back to me for financing to continue to grow his enterprise. He found another landscape contracting business in Southern California that he felt was a very good complement to his existing business. So he came to me, I took him to a lender. On this particular one, we did get a high leverage SBA 7A loan with a name brand SBA 7A non-bank lender and we closed. He was happy. What happened? He walked into the business and guess what? There were no employees. That's right. Imagine that. You buy the business, you get the keys, you walk through the front door and there's no one there. I couldn't believe it when he told me. He didn't even tell me in the beginning, but he told me that after several months, I uh, performed a care call and he gave me the background on all of this. Now, is that going to be what typically happens? Absolutely not. In fact, I think that's going to be what happens in the rarest of cases, but you have to be ready for that. So your question is, well, what happened? Well, again, Columbia grad, school, uh, London Bi School of Business grad, he already had an existing company. So what he was able to do is leverage his existing employee pool to quickly contact all of the business's clients. So essentially, he paid several million dollars for a client list. But because he was so intelligent, he was able to pivot quickly he was able to literally surpass what the seller had sold him in revenue and profitability within six months. Now, this is not typical. I would say most individuals would have floundered and they would have had an SBA loan that they guaranteed without any revenue. And it would have been a very, very, very stressful time in their life. The moral of the story on the business transfer be ready for anything. And what I'm about to share with you is how you can be ready. I work with an individual, several individuals actually, who are Vistage shares. And if you don't know what Vistage is, go look it up online and you'll know really quickly. Essentially, it's a peer-to-peer -peer group facilitated by an individual who has been in the shoes of the business owners. Either they've been a business owner, they've exited, um, they've been in the C-suite. And as the Vistage chair, they facilitate peer-to-peer -peer interactions with other small business owners. And this one in particular, this one Vistage chair in particular, he really promotes the 10 Rockefeller habits. And as I've read through those, I've actually included them in my process in helping individuals prepare their business plan. And here's how I explain it. If you're going to describe a car to me, I don't want you to just describe it high level. Don't quote me the make and the model. Don't quote me the materials of the interior. Don't quote me the color of the paint on the exterior. Don't quote me the, uh, you know, the, the trunk square footage. Don't do any of that. But if, but if I want to know if you know how to drive the car, how are you going to communicate that to me? Well, guess what? You're going to start with how to open the door. Then you're going to start with, how to turn on the car. Then you're going to start with your gauges. Then you're going to uh, continue all the way through step by step. And that's what I say to buyers. When you're building a business plan and when you're preparing to acquire a business, 
have these 10 Rockefeller habits written down so that from day one, when you walk through the door, you know what you're going to execute. At that point, who cares what market share is? Who cares um, what a SWOT analysis says? Who cares about that day one? When the rubber meets the road, you need to know how to get inside of the business, turn it on, operate it, and make it go. Make it zoom. Make it profitable. If you don't know that, you're setting yourself up, setting yourself up for disaster. So that's why I always refer and recommend uh, to my buyers that they buy this book, The 10 Rockefeller Habits. They incorporate this into their business plan so they know how they're going to operate the business day one at a granular level. In addition, if you're a W-2 employee leaving or possibly staying in your W-2 job and buying a business, this will help develop what I call credibility. And I get this from the, my five, um, uh, the science of SBA loan approval, uh, five fundamentals. The last one is credibility. So how did I take an individual who was a W-2 employee and help them buy seven pizza franchises? It was through the 10 Rockefeller Habits because initially he built a business plan that was a SWOT analysis that meant nothing. And then as I walked him through these 10 Rockefeller Habits, he really drilled down at a granular level how he was going to, again, day one, walk through the door. Who was he going to talk to? How was he going to deal with the managers? How was he going to deal with the, with the inventory? How was he going to do all of these things at a granular level? And I was able to qualify him as a W-2 employee, not, listen, not even retiring from his W-2 employment, maintaining it. We did that through the 10 Rockefeller Habits. We built the credibility. The underwriter felt that this individual can maintain his W-2 employment and operate the seven pizza franchises at the same time. And we closed the loan successfully. So again, how to bulletproof your acquisition. Know your seller. Have a really strong legal team that doesn't try to become the focal point of the deal. Understand who the landlord is, how to approach them, when to approach them. Again, make them the focal point from the outset. Know your financing. This is a jungle out there. There's so many options and so many people are leaving money on the table because they're not working with the right finance professional. And then finally, business transfer. A lot of times that's the last thing on anyone's mind buying the business because they're so focused on just getting qualified, being approved. There's so many steps along the way. But the whole way I recommend that you're building that business plan with the business transfer in mind. You have worst case scenarios in mind so that you're able to pick that business up where the seller left off.